see? I told you he could do it. Would you look at that? Whew! What do you need a camera for when you've got a Treddy? Now, let's take a look at this butte here. Okay, Mako, but I asked you to fix this other camera so that we can take a picture. And also, this is a receipt for socks. No, Aegon, it's... Wait, what? Maiko, again? Okay, Mav, I can tell what you're thinking, and it is, why does this picture that Treddy took look like a receipt for seven more pairs of socks? And it's because... You have got to stop buying socks! Look, my darling, I can't help that I'm getting cold feet. But not, uh, not, not, not like, not, not like, like, <laughs> not like that, not like that. No, 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 because I've been working on, uh, uh Treddy, Treddy, show her the thing, the thing, the thing you're gonna do! Is that the toast he's going to be performing at my wedding? So you did remember to bring the toast. Good, good. I can't have sandwiches without it. Well, technically, Sue, any type of bread would suffice for sandwiches. No, Professor. It has to be toast. I like to hear my bread breaking. That's exactly what Sue said about the food at our wedding. Bring the toast over here, Mako. We're hungry. And by that, I mean Sue's hungry. <laughs> you want to hear Treddy's toast? He hasn't finalized it yet. We've just choreographed that one part. We've still got a couple of months. No, no. The toast? The toast you brought for me? The toast I requested and you remembered? Because if my bread's not the thing crunching, something's gonna be. Did you know? Shreddy can perform the functions of a camera and a toaster? Shreddy? Shreddy? Treddy, what are you conspiring about with my bride-to-be over there? Hey, come over He's here. He's busy, Maiko. You can't rely on Treddy for everything. So is that, uh, old toast? That's the toast you're going to be making at my wedding. Good, because, uh, I have some notes. So, first things first. Oh, oh I love the and here I thought we were here for a picture, not wedding notes or a picnic. But time with friends is good. Yeah, I guess so, Anuki. It's certainly been a year, hasn't it, girl? I didn't think we'd have a team, much less a name by now. The Heroes of Navarine. Hmm. Hopefully we can live up to it. Now that Treddy's finally back, we can get to toasting. So, who's got the bread? Well, uh, logically, Mako, I believe that if you were in charge of bringing the toast, you were also in charge of bringing the bread. Logically. You solve one problem, and another one crops up. Well, we'll just have to go back to town and get some bread. That's not gonna work, Mako. The sun's setting soon. We need to get this picture taken before it's too dark. He'll be back, lickety-split. You can't have a picnic without bread, Aegon. Well, then there's no picnic. Because we'll just, like, get something on the way back. I mean, no big deal. The picture shouldn't take too long if we all get hungry, after all. But I'm already hungry. 
Why didn't we all just pack our own separate sandwiches? Who organized this picnic? Oh my god, what is that? It's a club sandwich. It's even shaped like a club. That's what you get when you put your mechanic in the kitchen. Does anybody else want one? I, I wasn't really confident anyone would remember what they were supposed to bring, so I just, you know, brought all of it. I love you. Well, this wasn't supposed to be a picnic, really. I just thought it would make a nice spot for the pitcher, and then the professor was like, oh, that's a lovely picnic spot. Why don't we bring some food? And then I just sort of... Marv, these are exquisite. Tiny little tea sandwiches cut into perfect left triangles. Well, that's especially for you, Teach. Lost all of you. Like I have now. <gasps> are these tiny toothpick rapiers stuck into my sandwiches? You betcha. Guys. Ooh, mine look like socks. Yum. Hey, no, 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 Anuki. You've already stolen the real sock, and it was my favorite one. Marv, Marv, did you bring? Here you go, Anuki. They look like little flowers. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. And now everyone's eating. Great, great picture. Great way to be remembered forever. Hey, what are you looking so glum for, Aegon? Just go back and eat with everyone else. <laughs> you have to eat too, bud. If your soul's going to be trapped in a picture, you got to make sure it's on a full stomach. It's not trapping souls, Marv. I mean, okay, if you listen to the town I heard it from, pitchers do steal souls, but that's just their thing. And my thing, based on their thing, is that they bond souls. Pitchers bond souls. It's supposed to be a way of sticking together, I guess. Yeah? You figured out how to get that soul stealer working yet? Ugh, no... Because now, I can finally get my hands on it. How do you always manage to beat me and go fetch? Well, logically, it stands to reason that my strategy is that I'm better at the game. So that's it! It's time to go easy on the furniture. And a brawl. Yeah. Come on, who holds the ball? And then worries about the furniture. Anyway, I threw one of the benches at his face. Sorry, I know you didn't want anyone to be distracted, but it's working, right? Yeah. That was a good call. They're certainly happy. That's what I'm here for. Now we can actually figure out what's up with this thing. Hey, Marv, how do you do that? Do what? Fix problems? Avert disaster? Oh, well, sometimes being a leader is about making decisions so something gets done. And by leader, I mean babysitter. I find it's easier to think of yourself as a babysitter making a call about what's going to be the best for everyone. <laughs> Well, I didn't know that was what leading my own group would look like. Keeping Mako from upgrading all my stuff, especially the stuff that doesn't need it. Pretending to be afraid of Sue. Pretending not to be afraid of Mauve. Asking the professor to explain what she means at all times. Listening to a bucket make a best man speech. 
They're a good group. Passionate, to a fault. It's the one thing we all have in common. Maybe today wasn't so bad after all. Even if we don't get to keep it forever. Oh, hey! I got it to work! Well, that's gonna make a great candid picture. Oh, okay, a, a lot of candid pictures. Everybody, pose while it's running! Alright, everyone, on the count of three. One, two, two three! Yeah, that's going to be a keeper. We start with a strand of auburn hair. And then this strand multiplies. We zoom out and we see more strands, more strands. And the strands eventually come out to reveal a little floof that looks almost like a toupee between two rabbit-like ears. And the toupee kind of flops, flops, flops alongside the ears as the head of this creature hops alongside this vacant countryside. And then, after a moment, it doubles. Suddenly we see another version of the ears and the head and the hair, but much less opaque than the other and we see two hair faces kind of turning almost to each other and sniffing. And then we hear a tinkling of glass, almost like someone stepping on a loose tree branch, but the tree branch in this case was made out of glass. And the hair bit turns up, looks back at some unseen predator, and races away from its reflection in this shard of glass which is one of millions and millions and millions of shards littered across the glassy wastes of the beyond. Tom, give me a roll. Okay. Are you happy, Dad, but I have my dice here? That's a 17. Okay, so you've been doing okay in the waste shock, but it's still been about a day or so since you've last eaten. Even when you're doing great, there isn't much food to go around. And at the moment, this hair bit is the only thing you can find. So how are you hunting it down? Oh, so that's easy. Shock has long since learned how to make snares to catch small game. And so what he's doing here is just chasing the hair bits directly towards that snare. There's a little gulch that it's being driven into that'll force it right into the trap. So this two-year-old hair bit runs forward. It looks left and right, and then its ears flip up and turn to the left. And as it follows its ears, it can see a way out, a horrifying, gavernous gulch, just a big pit surrounded by shards of glass. The hairbit runs up on one of these giant shards. From the ground, it looks like a probably 10 foot out outcropping going over this gulch. But if you looked at the gulch from on top, it would look like a giant mouth with the glass shards forming jagged teeth around it. But without anywhere to go, the hairbit jumps in. And as you make your way to the edge of the gulch shot, you can just hear a quiet 
of the rope as it tightens around something at the bottom. So Shock is going to shimmy back down there to make sure the hair bit is finished off and then set to the less glamorous work of taking out and prepping it for food. Okay. And you've done this many, many, many times. Mm-hmm. And we make it to night. What's your setup once it starts getting dark? Well, it's actually not that drastically different than how Shock has been camping with the quest friends, honestly. Still got a basic bedroll, materials from the wheel. Shock, once he's seen to the fire, will find some place that's kind of sheltered. Usually there are like little rock alcoves that are easy enough to shelter under, but if worse comes to worse, you can also like try to prop up his robe so that it covers him while he sleeps, and then just huddle in for the night. Try to be mindful if he hears something dangerous coming by. Yeah, so you snuggle up for the night, and the wastes have a lot of bad things about them. They're arid, they've got no food, and I cannot stress enough, there is just glass everywhere. But one nice thing is that every night is a perfectly clear night. So when you look up, you're able to see the same stars that you could see since you were a child living at the wheel. In fact, you can probably see them a little clearer without that light barrier in the way. The barrier of the wheel when you grew up, that light barrier surrounding the town would affect them the way almost a kaleidoscope does or a prism does when you shoot light through it. And so it's interesting because when you see these stars, they're in many ways clearer and truer than what you remember, but they also don't feel like the same set. It's been a few weeks, probably not too long since Shock left the wheel, since we've established that it took him a year to get to the Steadfast, mm-hmm. and the wastes are right next door to the wheel, so uh, if it took you a few months, then it should have taken you years to get to the Steadfast, so we'll say it's a few weeks. How is Shock feeling after these few weeks of scavenging? Well, the... um. That first rush of adventure hasn't really worn off yet. He's still excited, still raring to go, still so eager to see what the world is like beyond this, all its wonders. And so the rough parts of living haven't really dampened that much. But um, I think he is starting to get just the tiniest bit of cabin fever. He's eager to see people again. A little afraid, sure, but it would beat just being alone in the wilderness for weeks on end. Yeah, it definitely can. It definitely can suck, for lack of a better word. Yeah, it can suck to to walk across an arid wasteland filled with glass and no food and no people around. And so as you go to sleep, you hone in on the sounds to remind you of what life is out there. The small sniffing of a hair bit. The faint buzzing of a far-off colony of bees. And a very, very faint... But tonight, there's a different sound. Music. Yeah, Doc, you find anything yet? Ah, nah, I can't find anything over here. You sure Jerry said it was over here? Well, I mean, that's what Moore told us. Yes, Jerry lost it here. Shock, the music that you heard, how did you originally respond to hearing music? Shock would not have gotten out of bed first, but would have definitely been alert and listening for that, because that is strange and interesting. 
At the sound of voices, though, Shock will slip out of his bedroll and creep on over. Are you trying to be sneaky? Or just... It's about halfway. Shock is, at least in his own mind, making a half-hearted attempt at being sneaky. But, to be honest, he's too curious to be very stealthy here. Okay. Yeah, so you walk towards the sound, and you see a few things. You see this large vehicle. It looks like a covered wagon, but instead of wheels, it has a bunch of spokes sticking out of it. Kind of like a pirate's captain wheel, just so it doesn't get any of the glass stuck into it. And you can easily tell that this covered wagon has music blaring from it. It seems to be the source of everything, because not only is music coming from it, you can see some lights illuminating four shadows. There is a tall shadow that's making deliberate short steps to places and then bending down looking for something and continuing to walk. You can see this other shadow a lot thinner with tubes it looks like. Almost like a machine. It reminds you of the machines that had wires on the outside going all around it. Doing what anyone else would easily recognize as like the evil twiddling their hands thing. You see a third figure, a very short elderly figure. He walks very similarly almost to the way Horace does. And there seems to be this appendage on his head that extends out his eyes. And then finally, next to the car, the only person not looking for things, there is a man in a suit who is just kind of powerfully leaning against the car. And Shock will probably not actually say anything until he's essentially called out, but will keep getting closer and closer to this group, watching what they do. And the group doesn't notice you proceeding. They're too busy looking for this thing and speaking loudly to one another. And half their words are things like, Ah, damn it, Jerry! Yes, Jerry, this was your mistake. Oh, come now, now, now. It's only completely Jerry's fault that we're out here at night. Um, excuse me, what's whose fault? And the figure with the external wires turns around to you to say, Ah, finally, Jerry, you decided to speak. Um... I, my name is Shock. Nice to meet you all. And this figure steps into the full illumination of the headlights. And you can see she's pretty much exactly as I described her. She's a thin woman with these tubes that are crisscrossing over her arms like external arteries. Shock, you say? What are you doing out here, Shock? Oh, uh, just traveling in a vaguely northwesterly direction towards the nearest source of human life. And I, I guess here I've done it. I found you. You are, um, you are humans, right? She steps closer. Just traveling, eh? Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm an adventurer. I've, uh, struck out on my own the first time ever. And I wanted to see the world. See the world in these wastes? And you can see that the old man with the extended eyes, which you can now see as part of this like headset he has that has spectacles that extend forward, is walking on your other side. He has taken a step forward. Well, yeah. This is part of a world too, isn't it? And it's, it's quite beautiful out here. I'm trying to pass through because, you know, it's not a very easy place to live, but... It's nice. 
and the last of the searching figures, this very tall, well-built man wearing what are poorly counterfeited Order of Truth robes, not that you know that, has stepped up on your third side. Where are you from, stranger? Oh, you know, just a tiny little village called The Wheel. It's a kind of a nowhere place on the map. And the figures who have stepped closer and closer, getting more threatening with each step, suddenly stop. And before you can respond, Shock, Shock's arm is grabbed by the woman who says, Well, why didn't you say so, friend? Oh, oh um, well, you know, I... It's it's kind of a not a lot of people know about it. I I wouldn't I wouldn't really expect you all to know about it. The machine's paradise, and Shock's eyes are being evaluated by this old man whose spectacles are all the way out. Why wouldn't tech scare aficionados know about such a wonderful place? Oh, I I mean I guess that makes sense. I know Horace had talked to people when he sometimes went out exploring. We're not supposed to talk about it too much, but I guess if you already know, yeah, I'm I'm from there. And a strong hand is just placed on top of your head. Kind of like a pat-pat, but also it could easily squish you if it wanted to. And the Order of Truth man says, You're from there. How could you be from there? Well, I mean, why... Ah! Don't be so hard on him, more. It's not that weird to have someone from the wheel. I've got family from the wheel. So far as we can be considered, this kid is practically family. <gasps> and she slaps your chest. That's right. We're basically family. Oh, um, who, who's your family in the wheel? It doesn't matter now because it's you, kid. And so you can call me Auntie Scarlet. Up there, and she points to the tall man in Order of Truth robes. Up there is Uncle Moore, and over here is... You can just call him Doc. And she points to the old man with the spectacles. Well, yeah. Uh, hello. It's nice to nice to meet all of you. What are you all doing out here, then? Well, <laughs> that doesn't matter. What's more important is what's my nephew doing out here? Oh, I mean, like I said, I'm just... I'm passing through. On my way to the nearest human settlement, which I guess is, um, and then Shock will say however many units of distance it is from here, roughly, approximately, according to what he was told. <laughs> and was he given the name? Um, yes, although I don't know what settlement would be closest. I don't think there is one on the map that would be fitting. I mean, you can you can just make up a name. Oh, yeah, that's true. I have that power. Yeah, I'm going to Red Run. It's supposed to be the closest town, right on the edge of a waste. I was going to stop there, see if I can get more supplies, and find leads for scavenging, because I'm out here looking for resources. Valuable things I can uh, bring back home. <laughs> Red Run, you say? Well, we just so happen to be going there ourselves! And Shock's left arm is grabbed by Doc, and Shock's right arm is grabbed by Uncle Moore, who start basically pushing you towards the back of this covered wagon. And Auntie Scarlet says, 
why don't you come along with us? I'll just handle this thing with Jerry out here. And she points to the pouting suited man. Oh, uh, I guess that's very nice of you, but I, I, most of my supplies are still over there back at my, my camp. I should probably get those. Oh, we'll pick those up too. No, no worries about, we'll pick it up too. Oh, oh, we're, we're just, we're going now, now? Yes, most of us are. All right, come on now, Jerry. And Auntie Scarlet slaps the suited man on the back. Let's go finish our business first. Is that the last of them? I think so. Are we talking about the spiders or those fearsome glass soldiers? Sue? I got all the glass goons. Punching spiders is hard. Then we got all of them. The last spider's nothing more than shards now. Ah, what a shame. I would have loved to capture one of those skittery fellows alive. <laughs> I know it's dangerous, Treddy, but this is a once-in-a-lifetime find! It's not every day the forecast is cloudy with a chance of spiders. You'll get another chance. This isn't the last time we'll encounter that thing. The Apocrita. You know what it is? I don't. Then why the name? It feels right. Ugh, nothing feels right about this. It shakes me to my bones. Good thing none of them literally crawled under my skin. Ugh. Yes, Anuki. Very. What would even happen if one of them did that? Logically, I imagine that it would be quite unpleasant. Igon! What's the matter? It's Marv! He- <laughs> Don't tell me he tried to charm the cloud. I think he's dying. What? what? Marv, 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 Marv. Okay, that was four Marvs too many. There's only one of me here. <laughs> Now's not the time for jokes. You, you, you. Marv. Oh, hey, bud. What happened? <coughs> well. You you know me. I tried to <clears throat> to charm our new friends, and I <coughs> I think it it worked a bit too well. <gasps> what are those things under his skin? I didn't think the spiders would actually infect someone like that. Okay, 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 okay. Oh, okay. Marv, just stay there, and I'll I'll, I'll get the spiders out. Oh, well, with that big hammer of yours, <laughs> you're more likely to damage me than the Apocrita. And <clears throat> this winning smile is one of the few things I bring to the team. We can't mess this up, can we? <laughs> well, I can't do nothing. No, I guess you <clears throat> never could. Mako, fix it. Of course. How do I do that, though, boss? If I knew, I wouldn't be fucking telling you to do it! Hey, don't be too harsh on them. The kids can take care of themselves just fine. Could've fooled me. 
Alright, I've, uh, got my tools. I can try... something. No, don't. Don't? Don't, don't give me that shocked face, bud. <coughs> Changing the world was always your thing. I was just along for the ride. B but I knew the risks. It's fine. And, and even after I'm gone, I'm gonna keep believing in you. <coughs> because you're going to keep saving people who need it. So let me go here, because who could ask for a better death? My hero on one side, <coughs> love of my life on the other. I don't regret a second of it. You don't need to coddle me on this one. Hello and welcome to the announcement break for Quest Friends episode 73, Shock's Memory Part 1. I am Kyle, your GM, and thank you for coming along on this little experimental journey with us. These past two episodes have been many, many, many months in the making, and I'm just really glad we finally got to share them with all of you. So let's quickly shout out the folks who were able to make this episode happen First off, a quick shout out to my co-writer for the Lowell's Memory Segments, Hallie Kuntz, who you can find in pretty much every episode of Quest Friends that isn't these two. <laughs> we also had all of these wonderful actors on board. In order, Mako is played by Chase Beck. Mauve is played by Trisha Mellon. Sue is played by Sarah Doreen McPhee. The Professor is played by Fiona McKinnon. Marv is played by Caleb Smedra. Anuki is played by Colette Fian, and Commander TJ is played by TK Cooper, although TJ's line is kind of a blink and you'll miss it one. If any of these fine folks caught your ear, you can find links to more of their stuff in the description. In addition to the heroes of Navarine, who are played by those voice actors, we had a few new characters this episode, and two of them come from our name pool. Specifically, Auntie Scarlet is named for Scarlet or at NBBrit on Twitter, and Uncle Moore is named for Stephen Moore or at Chickadizzle on Twitter. If you'd be interested in being part of our name pool, wherein your name can become the name of a person, place, or thing, just be sure to make a tweet or Tumblr post with the hashtag QuestFriends. And on that note, thank you so much, Scarlett and Steven, for sharing about the show. One last thing, just like with last episode, this one does have a little bit of a audio quality shift for me halfway through. My audio just stopped recording halfway through the session for some reason, and so it uses backup audio. It's not really that much worse, it's just a little bit muted. But that's all I've got for you today. Our next episode, the first episode of this campaign's final arc, The Obsidian Cloud Part 1, will be releasing on Monday, April 5th. But if you'd like additional content before then, you can find stories, artwork, and behind-the-scenes insights at patreon.com slash questfriends. I'll see you there. And with that, three shots 
clink together, and the fourth just kind of wavers as we see where Shock is. First, we hear it. There's this very loud music. It's like loud rock coming from a jukebox. We can smell the mustiness of the air. We're in one of those places where you can smell the bathroom wherever you are. God. But among all this grossness, we are focused on this one circular table where we see the three members of that traveling group without Jerry and Shock. Because you are in Red Run, Bar and Grill. The, uh, you are in the Red Run, Bar and Grill. And sitting around the table are three of the members of that group, Auntie Scarlet, Uncle Moore, and Doc. And the other three immediately down their shots and slam them to the table before all staring at you. So Shock is going to sniff at the shot glass. Are you sure this isn't turpentine? I think this is for machines. And Shock's hand is slapped by Doc, who just says... Well, you're a machine, ain't ya? Well, uh, yeah, not that, not that kind. And he's gonna take a little sip and just be like, ugh, ugh. <laughs> And Auntie Scarlet seems very bemused by your disgust of it. Well, that was fun enough. I think it's time for another round. Go get him, Moore. And Moore just pushes the table stands up and walks out and he is actually he's doing the thing where you push out your chair but he just pushes the table because he's so beefy (laughs) and he stands up and walks over to get the stuff so auntie scarlet leans on her elbows and stares into your eyes shock what do you think of red run well um i kind of expected more buildings nearby it doesn't really match the stories or the smell, but I guess Horace couldn't smell in the same way. Uh, it's very loud. <laughs> well, a little more of that machine drink and all of it will start getting blurred out. No worries. Okay. And Shock will try to sip a little more. Give me a might roll. Oh, dear. That's a six. Go one step down the damage track. Yeah, that's fine. As you just get impaired by this alcohol. But hey, Auntie Scarlet is right. I mean, she didn't lie because the music starts kind of blurring out. So does your vision and your speech. You're still there. You haven't been like drugged or anything, but you're feeling the effects of very, very strong alcohol. Yeah, shock is just sort of when not being directly addressed is just sort of getting quiet, staring at his lap, feeling increasing discomfort. This is a very weird, weird situation, and honestly, even without being just sort of dragged away in the middle of the night by these strangers, Shock would feel uncomfortable here at the bar.
and Shock's arms and head get pounded by the table. Because I'm going to say you probably, your head drooped down a bit, but you can feel as Auntie Scarlet slams on the table. Huh. What? What? Oh, <laughs> we were just talking about, uh, talking about your home. What about? Oh, we just want to know a bit more about it. Yeah, what kind of tech and stuff you got there? Oh, Doc, don't worry about it. You know, that's not the most important thing. And Auntie Scarlet reflexively touches her arms. When you first met Auntie Scarlet, she had these sleeves that had almost this wire weave on them. When she got back from doing whatever with Jerry, you noticed there was blood all over the wires, but she claimed she just, you know, ran into some glass. It didn't cut the wires somehow, but you know, strong glass staff, you know, strong wires. Regardless, she was pretty upset by that. So she has replaced them with these fashionable sleeves. It's a bunch of floppy disks, so it looks almost like the sleeve of metal armor, but the metal plating is made out of floppy disks. And when talking about cool tech, she reflexively kind of touches that arm. Haven't you been there before? Oh, uh, uh, of course. It's just, you you know the wheel. It's, it's always so bustling. Every time I come back, it's like a, a completely different place. Nothing ever changes in the wheel. I was the only change for almost 20 years. Everyone just stays- Well, there you go, 20 years. And I'll say your auntie is quite a bit older than that. Oh, if you could have seen what it was like in my heyday. It was exactly the same I have seen. They have the records. Reference section has drawings and pictures. Reference section? What is that, some kind of library? And Shock is just going to cock his head and narrow his eyes. They're, they're the most important person in the wheel. They've been there forever. No one else even remembers a time they weren't there. Why don't you know who they are? Oh, and Doc, he just... You know how secretive we wheelieites are? Haven't told him a whole lot. Nobody... Nobody says wheelieites. It, it's... It's Bazian. A fist slams down on the table as Uncle Moore says, It's late. Now I know you don't want to, Scarlet. <laughs> but we have to finish this mission before we take any other expeditions. Okay. I should probably get my bedroll and set up a camp. All right, but don't go too far. There are some dangerous folk out here. And and Shock's hand is grabbed by Auntie Scarlet's hand, and she puts her other hand on top of it. We've got a very big day tomorrow. three going to get back with news it won't be good it's gotta be good it won't be and how do you know that their faces so michael how did it it didn't 
That buffoon of a mayor said they deal with harsh weather all the time. Ha! <laughs> Can you imagine hearing a slight sprinkle of spiders as part of your regular forecast? He said he wasn't concerned, because only an eighth of each town hit by the Apocrypha gets taken by it. Yes, because we evacuate everyone else! Ugh! So that's it, then? For open diplomacy, yes, but those dreadful flying spiders are still a ways out. We've got some time for some, uh, illicit evacuation. <sighs> what do you think, Aegon? Aegon? Has he just been quietly standing there this whole time? I'm going. <sighs> That's probably best. Splendid! I had Treddy Bear steal the map of the town while we were speaking to that oafish bureaucrat. There may be a way to get most of the people out. Alright! Let's do it, Aegon said, and get going! That's not what he means! <laughs> it's not... Then what the hell does he mean? Aegon, what the hell do you mean? I'm going. Yeah, you're going away. Out of this town. Evacuation. That's what you mean by going, right? Aegon? Professor, the thing we talked about, is it there? The weapon should be somewhere in there, yes. Wait, there's a weapon? A useful one? That's great. Where is it? The cloud. It's in the cloud, isn't it? I cannot. You're planning to fly into the cloud, aren't you? God damn it, Aegon! I thought you were finally over this macho legend nonsense! Wait, whoa, 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 hold on. Into the cloud itself? That'll get him killed! Most likely, yes. We started this group to save people, and we aren't saving them. Bullshit, we're not saving people. We are saving many lives. But not all of them. What was that number again, Sue? One-eighth. One-eighth. Mauve. Mako. Aegon! Treddy. Sue. Stop it! The professor. Anuki. Myself. It's not the same! And then Mark. We all know what that one-eighth feels like. I cannot take another loss. Not one. Well, then I'm coming too. No! I told you, I cannot take another loss! Then what about you? That doesn't matter. This is my job, this is what I'm here for, and this is what I started the group to do. I'm making the call. I'm going. It feels like you're kind of going over our heads here, boss. Well, sometimes leaders just have to make decisions. I'm not sure that's what Marv meant. Don't talk like you knew him like I did. Don't talk like you understand any of this like I do. Maybe you should listen to your friends. Aegon. I'll send Anuki back as soon as she drops me off. Take care of her. Fine. Fine! If the hero wants to go and get killed in a blaze of foolhardy glory, let him! He's just another rotten ghoul and not, after all. 
Goodbye, everyone. We are in this boat together! spokes of the covered wagon poke into the muddy earth of the forest that you're in. It's a few hours from morning, and Shock, you and Auntie Scarlet and Uncle Moore and Doc are no longer in the waste. You're now in this forest. Scarlet and Doc are sitting in the front of the covered wagon, which you can briefly hear them through like a little flap, but you can mostly just hear the music they're playing. Leaving in the back, you and a silent moor who is sitting on a crate filled with something. Shock has by this point given up trying to ask, where are we going? What are we doing? He just stays silent. After a while, Uncle Mord looks at you. Come here. Hmm? Come here. We're sitting next to each other, aren't we? Uh, you're across from each other. Oh, right. No, I, I can visualize it now. Yeah, Shock will move closer. And Moore opens his coat, which you can see has an alarming amount of weapons inside of it. So many pockets filled with so many different lethal things. And out of one of them, he grabs this silver slug. Open... And he points to his mouth. Shock will do it, confused, as always. And immediately, Shock's mouth will be grabbed by Uncle Moore, who will pick up your tongue and slide the slug underneath it. What was, what was that for? Silver slug. You can shoot it out and know what somebody's thinking. Oh, oh okay. Does it just have to stay in my mouth? Yes, it has to stay in your mouth. Okay. Silence passes a bit longer, and Moore crosses his arms. Chalk doesn't respond to that, tries not to even look like anything. What happened to Jerry? And Moore just scoffs that you have to ask, and he sits down and refuses to answer any more of your questions. And actually, as he sits down, you can see the crate slide open. This crate was filled with what you were told were all sorts of wonderful things you would be able to bring home. Artifacts, items, ciphers. Inside, it's just what looks to be like more weapons. It's a box full of, like, plasma grenades. Oh. And Shock will go back to sitting in silence. The flap to the front opens up, and Auntie Scarlet leans back, resting her arm, which has the now cleaned and unbloodied tube sleeves on it, on the back of her chair. So, Shock, you excited to go home? Excited to see all of those machines and their state-of-the-art technology? I'm sure your parents are awfully worried you've been out for so long. I don't... I don't have... Parents, and I'm—I told you already—I'm—I'm I'm a scavenger. I'm on a mission. I have a job to do. It will probably be months before I go back. 
months? You can't be serious. Focus on driving, Scarlet. Yeah, yeah, sure, but there's gotta be something you really love there that you wanna see again. Some place with... And her mechanical sleeve is illuminated by a strike of lightning. Particularly beautiful machine parts. Shot doesn't respond to that, but he is thinking about people he wishes he could see right now. And Uncle Moore continues. Scarlet, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. I can't believe someone would leave such a wonderful place without taking a few things along with them. They wouldn't hide it if there wasn't something valuable there, Moore. There's nothing valuable there at all. It's just rusted, broken stuff. That's why we need to scavenge. Nothing useful left there at all. The car stops. Now, nephew, what did I tell you about lying? Why else would they send a, a kid out to scavenge, huh? Because even the machines that used to do for that are kicks, broken now. For I'm speaking right now. There's nothing left. It's all gone. So there's no point in going back there. You gotta be shitting me. Ah, he's, he's just lying. He's gotta be. He's not lying, Scarlet. I can tell. I'm speaking right now more, okay? He, he can't be lying. Otherwise, how does he have such a, such a, such fancy, fancy robes and such a valuable crystal staff? Came from outside. It didn't come from the wheel. So you're saying we've been putting this all up for nothing? Y yeah, yes. That's, that's fine. <laughs> More. Take the staff, take the robes, dump the kid. And Moore immediately stands up, his presence taking over what feels like half of the cabin. In fact, it's such a big stand that the cover for the plasma grenades falls off, revealing a handful just jittering in the box. Can Shock try to snatch the staff before Moore can and far step away? Yeah, give me a roll. Okay. That's a four. You grab the staff at the same time Moore does, but if you put up a fight, he instantly pulls it away from you. No. Give, give me my things back. I don't... I don't want to fight. And Moore almost looks like he's taking pity for a second on just how, in his eyes, pathetic and naive this young person is. And he says, What? You gonna talk me down? You gonna hug out of this? Sometimes you can't run from a fight. But don't worry. If you don't fight, and you can see him grab the staff and raise it above his head, this will be easier for both of us. And Shock will raise a hand and cast Onslaught just directly at him. And we're gonna be spending a level of effort on this. And that's a three. So what happens if I die in my own flashback? <laughs> what if I lose the combat? Can I spend an XP to manipulate this a bit for dramatic effects? Yes. I know typically one XP is not enough to auto succeed at a thing. But could we at least frame that the spell successfully hits, even if that doesn't necessarily change the overall situation? I've got a different idea. Okay. 
Well then, in that case, before your idea shoots off, Shock raises his hand, he fires the spell, and just screams, I SAID I DIDN'T WANNA FIGHT YOU! And the spell shoots off at Moore, who stands there, frozen. For a second you think you might have shot him, until a frown goes on his lips. Hmm. I didn't even feel a thing! But that's when you hear the sizzling. Because you did fail to hit more shock. But when it missed, it didn't just hit anything. It hit the box of grenades. Shock. Lowell. Each of you have spent all this time marching towards the storm. Were you prepared when you finally entered it? Shards of obsidian tear into Lowell's shoulders as he rises into a violent glassy sky. Wood, metal, fabric. The explosion of Shock's grenade throws what feels like the entirety of the wagon at Shock. Now, pushing through a cloud made of glass or the wall of a covered wagon will inevitably lead to a crash, and you both violently fall down, down, down. Shock onto muddy wet earth, and Lowell onto harsh ceramic. Not my best landing. Anuki! You scramble to your feet. You fall. Your body keeps moving, unable to face the nightmare just out of sight. A scream. From a friend? For Lowell, maybe, but not for shock. Shock turns, and in front of him the burning wagon defies the rain. Scarlet stands up from where Moore lies on the earth, both of their disguises ripped bare. Scarlet has dozens of weapons to choose from, enough for ten men, but she grabs the first she can, and with all her might, she slams it into your face. I, I try to crawl away. I raise my hands. I fire off an onslaught. There's a crack, and then a scream. Scarlet tumbles to the ground, and she shouts out through gnashing teeth, the blood of which in the darkness looks like a thick black ooze. Get him! Get him, Doc! Uh, I'll get him out, Anuki. I'll get all the spiders out, okay? There's so many! I know, I know, I know. But I'm here. I'll keep you safe. I... I don't know. A force rises up your spine and grips your neck. Fear? Regret? Again, for Lowell, Maybe. But for Shock, it's much more literal, as Doc lifts Shock up and stares at him with his spectacles, which start folding one over another until a dozen are in front of Doc's eyes, creating numerous reflections that stare at Shock. But Shock can't spend too long staring back at them, as his eyes are quickly drawn to the appendage extending from the back of Doc's headset. And the surgical saw attached to that in turn. Please, I didn't... I didn't want to fight. Please don't. Please. Please don't. I don't do it. Please. Friend. This isn't working. Why isn't this working? How, how am I supposed to 
fix problems, avert disaster. Why can't a Hagon Stormbreaker supposed to save people? Lowell looks at the Obsidian Whirlwind. Doc looks at the turned over wagon. This was a fight you chose, wasn't it? Doc shrugs with a smile. Eh, I don't really care much either way. The blade reignites, whirring faster and faster and faster, eventually cutting off strands of Shock's hair. You want to stop, turn back to a safer time, but in for a penny, in for a pound, I guess. And the strangest things can remind you of that. For Shock, it's the sensation of a soft, squishy, moving object underneath his tongue. For Lowell, it's a taunt that reminds him of who he is here to stop. Do you know how many ways an experiment can fail? <laughs> I get it. I'm a failure. So you don't have to rub it in. That bad, huh? Where are you? Come out and fight me already! Be careful. We want the birds to come back. I don't care! What about Marv? What about Anuki? They don't get to come back! Oh, it's gone. Oh, I'm sorry. You're not sorry for a goddamn thing! Otherwise, you wouldn't have killed them! That's a good guess, but it's wrong. I'll fucking kill you! You raise your hand with new, malicious intent. Lowell lifts his warhammer and strikes down the last Prylemans, while Shock targets his onslaught onto the blade arm. Each target snaps in two. But then, you take your real weapon. Shock prepares the silver slug under his tongue, while Lowell picks up a prismatic spear his shattered foes had dropped at his feet. And, without hesitation this time, you stab your weapon into your foe's skull, and you can feel everything. Their every emotion, their every memory, their every thought. But whatever other messages they had to share are quickly drowned out by your own clear wish. Die, 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 die! The remainder of your memory is hazy. This day is more than anyone should have to endure and both of you will soon take a brief reprieve from it. Shock will wake up in a real world he wishes was fake. Lowell will wake up in a fake world he intends to make real. I told you he could do it! Would you look at that? Whew! What do you need a camera for when you've got a Treddy? Now, let's take a look at this butte here. Okay, Mako, but I asked you to fix this other camera so that we can take a picture. And also, this is a receipt for socks. 
No, Aegon, it's... Wait, what? Maiko. Again? Okay, Mav, I can tell what you're thinking, and it is... Why does this picture that Treddy took look like a receipt for seven more pairs of socks? And it's because... You have got to stop buying socks! Look, my darling, I can't help that I'm getting cold feet. But not, uh, not, not, not like, not, not like, like, <laughs> not like that, not like that. No, 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 because I've been working on, uh, uh Treddy, Treddy, show her the thing, the thing, the thing you're gonna do! Is that the toast he's going to be performing at my wedding? So you did remember to bring the toast. Good, good, I can't have sandwiches without it. Well, technically, Sue, any type of bread would suffice for sandwiches. No, Professor. It has to be toast. I like to hear my bread breaking. That's exactly what Sue said about the food at our wedding. Bring the toast over here, Mako. We're hungry. And by that, I mean Sue's hungry. (laughs) You want to hear Treddy's toast? He hasn't finalized it yet. We've just choreographed that one part. We've still got a couple of months. No, no. The toast... The toast you brought for me, the toast I requested and you remembered, because if my bread's not the thing crunching, something's gonna be. Did you know Shreddy can perform the functions of a camera and a toaster? Shreddy? Shreddy? Shreddy, what are you conspiring about with my bride-to-be over there? Hey, come over here. He's busy, Maiko. You can't rely on Shreddy for everything. So is that, uh, old toast? That's the toast you're going to be making at my wedding. Good, because uh, I have some notes. So first things first. Oh, oh I love so We can see why your favorite. Yeah. Wait, where? Where did everyone go? Where, where are they? Why, why can't I see them anymore? Because they're not here. Not like me. Marv? Hey, buddy. Did I come back too soon? Uh, but how? I... It's just... That's right. I'm here. You can hug me. I missed you. I'm sorry I couldn't save you. That's okay. Help is relative. I just... Want to stop people from dying. I know. And I couldn't, Marv. I couldn't be the leader that you believed in. The Apocrita killed so many people. (laughs) Do I look dead to you? That's pretty rude. (laughs) Shut up. It's like I told you. Protecting everybody is a pretty tall order. You can't stop time. You can't stop change. Eventually, everyone dies. So, I'm a failure. No matter what, nothing will make me more than just another rotten Angolan knight. If you try to do things just one way. But you can find your own way. Do you remember that bookshelf your mum had at home? Yeah, she'd always put the mirror at the very edge. It'd fall down all the time. And I would tell her that even though it looked nice there, it was safest in the back. Safest in the back. And that's what the Apocrita does. It keeps us safe. 
We may not keep our bodies, but bodies are one tumble-off-the-shelf away from breaking anyway. Instead, it saves our memories here, in the back, safe forever. Forever? And ever and ever. What do I do? We won't have much time when you wake up again. When we what? (laughs) You gave our little cloud a pretty good beating, bud. It needs some time to hibernate. But when it wakes up, I'm counting on you to save everyone else. They won't like it. But it's up to me to make the call. You'll be with me there, though, right? I I can't do this without you, Marv. I can't lead them on my own. Yes, you can. How? How can you still be so sure? Because I believe in Aegon Stormbreaker. Skip, skip, skip. Bloosh. Skip, 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 skip. Bloosh. You know, bud, for seeing so many years of skipping stones, you think I would have been able to do it by now. Shock, you are back at the beach on the wheel. But today, instead of being accompanied by Horace, you're accompanied by a man about your age with auburn hair. It, it takes time. Sometimes we don't pick things up the way we wanted to or figure things out as fast as we thought we were supposed to. Sometimes you have to keep coming back to it, you know? Yeah, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. I get it now, Chuck. I get why you can't trust me. (laughs) What? (laughs) Well, yeah. If my first experience with people was three bandits trying to go to my hometown and take everything that isn't nailed down and then everything else that is nailed down, I'd be a little, uh, distrusting of people too, you know? My first experience with people was growing up safe and loved in a place that felt like a dream. reason you and I have struggles is because you keep trying to kill people because you're chasing the illusion of safety. Oh, kill people, kill people. I told you that's not what I'm doing. Did you just forget what we just saw? Like, hitting someone to death with a staff, that's killing somebody. I saw, and I saw enough to know that whatever that thing in there is using you, it's telling you what you want to hear. But the truth is there's no There's no getting back something that's lost. You can try to hide in the memories, try to think that taking everyone into the swarm is going to make everything better, but you can't get back the life you had before with your friends. And I'm very sorry for that. The only thing you can do is try to live something new. 
because otherwise you and everyone else are just going to be living a few minutes at a time, looped forever, an unending nightmare. That's not life, Lowell. <laughs> See, that's funny. You call the idea of reliving those best moments a nightmare when just a few seconds ago, you called the same thing a dream. But I get it. I understand. There's no use arguing about this further. Words can only do so much, you know? With, with that group out there, they, they claimed they were all sorts of things, but the words didn't match their actions. The knights, they claimed they were protecting everybody, but they weren't. I, I, I get it, Shop. I get that whatever I tell you, you won't believe that I really do have the best interests of everyone at heart. Well, that you are mistaken, because I do believe that you believe have the best interests of everyone at heart. I know this isn't out of malice, but... You just don't think it'll work? I just think you're wrong. No, I know you're wrong. Hmm. Well, I appreciate that vote of confidence, kind of. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> you know one thing, I know the other. Words aren't going to solve this shock. I can't tell you that I'm right. I have to show you. And Shock, you notice as the light of the stars starts to disappear, as a shadow moves from out across in the sea closer and closer to the wheel. It first goes over the craves, then goes over that rusted boat on the pier. And by the time you finally look up at the Apocrita itself, you can see its shadow covering all of the Wheel of Bonds. And that's when you wake up. All right, then. You said the Red Run, right? Yeah. All right, you are now going to the Red Run Inn, which is definitely not the place you were supposed to be. Don't don't pull this Daggerfall shit on me. Oh, you were supposed to go to the it, the Daggerfall Inn, which is not in the city of Daggerfall. We're doing it. We're doing it. The, I need them to have some excuse because you probably have heard different things from uh, Red Run, and I will I will leave it to you to be like, wait, this isn't a pool. Wait a second. Who are you? This is out of character for a moment, but the other day when you were like, I've got to come up with an adjective for people from the wheel. And I was like, Kyle, there's one in the book. It's in my character sentence, Bosian. I am a Bosian nano who talks to machines and is literally my descriptor. And Lowell would take this as a sign of, oh, this is why you don't trust people and not, oh, the things I did were a problem. This is why you don't trust me. I see now. Am I out of touch? No. It is Shock who is wrong. <laughs>